Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So guys, I am so excited for this episode. I have been following Dr. Philippa Kay for quite a while and heard an episode of her with Hazel Wallace, who is awesome. So definitely head over to that podcast as well. So Dr. Philippa Kay is a London-based GP and author of the incredible book, The M Word. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about. That M Word is menopause. So one thing that that I've realized from working with predominantly females is that there's a lot of different stages for for a lady that they go through and at different stages. But I think most people don't realize that they go through menopause and menopause takes up over around a third of the of their, a woman's life. That's a huge part of someone's life. Uh, and I'm really excited to have a chat with Philippa about menopause and perimenopause. So Philippa, thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. I'm glad to hit more people because I think the issue is, is that we're all taught about the birds and the bees and we're taught about how to make babies and how to not make babies and no one ever explained to us what happened next. Um, and I think that it hits men, takes many women hugely by surprise and men too because everybody's got a partner, a sister, a mother, a friend um, and so we need to be discussing this with as many people as we can. It, it's a it's a massive massive topic but i think there's a lot of taboo attached to it as well but i think it, like the likes of yourself the likes of hazel uh the likes of amelia thompson stuff like that are doing incredible work putting out the word out there and speaking for females and putting the information out there because it's still a long way to go but it is amazing so for anyone that isn't aware of your background i know i gave you a brief intro can you give us a little bit more intro on your on yourself So um, I'm a GP, I studied at Cambridge and then at London, did lots of hospital jobs in various different specialities before settling on general practice, but the beauty of general practice is that we can do a little bit of everything. I have a particular interest and therefore extra qualifications in women's health, children's health and sexual health. Um, And women have very different relationships with their doctors to men and traditionally actually they're better at going to the doctors than men are. Um, And some of that is because things that make them female but don't make them sick mean that they do go and see a doctor. So having periods is normal Um, and that doesn't mean that you're sick but period pain or irregular periods or heavy periods um, mean that sort of from teenagedom, you from adolescence you might start visiting a doctor and then there'll be issues with fertility getting pregnant or not being able to get pregnant and then you go to the doctor with your baby and um, and then suddenly women think oh i now have to deal with the rest of this on my own and that's essentially because we've always lived in a society which is very patriarchal and very male dominated and women's health is considered to be a taboo and even now when i go on the radio and on tv there'll be certain times of the day where i can't say the word vagina um or i can't say the word vulva people want me to say down there um but actually the words for your genitals are the same as for your elbows. Um, And the idea that women bleed in old religions was considered to be something that was dirty. And so when women are coming with bleeding problems um, around the time of the menopause or afterwards, they feel that they shouldn't. And so they just feel that they should manage those at home. And then afterwards, if we consider that society says that the purpose of a woman is to bear children, When you can no longer do that, what's the purpose? And women are now defining what their purposes are. And we know that actually you don't have to have children to be a woman. You don't have to be society's idea of whatever beauty may be to be a woman. 
but actually those things are ingrained for centuries. And these are the battles that we are fighting in order to break the taboo so that women can come forward and have the help that they need. A third of your life post-menopause, and I want to be thriving in that third of my life, not just sort of surviving. Yeah, I think that is a must thing. I know that, like, as you said, the taboo, I know when I first started coaching ladies and done, I never thought when I first started becoming a, a nutritionist or a coach that I'd be watching two or three hour lectures on menstrual cycle and menopause and stuff like that. So it, it's a learning curve for both men and female. Um, and I'm delighted. I and I think it's a learning curve for the scientific community. Yeah. Um, even we're recording this during the coronavirus pandemic and men and women are doing very differently um, in, in ICU and they're dealing very differently actually um, with the virus and being a male is a risk factor for not doing as well. And yet most of those people who are in intensive care are past the age of menopause. So we respond very differently as males and females but traditionally all scientific research was done in men and in men's bodies. And it's only now that we're thinking what are the differences between and what's going to give an advantage or a disadvantage. And when you train as a woman, there will be parts of your cycle where it's easier to train. It feels better and you can get there far easier than others where your body will respond to you. And that's to do with the estrogen and the progesterone that's in your body. And because we have receptors for these hormones all over our bodies, muscles, skin, hair, brain, everywhere, not just the genitals and the reproductive system. And if we think about that, you know, we're really kind to teenagers who need to sleep a lot or who are grumpy. Um, and we know, oh, maybe just before our period, not the best time to go and try and run a marathon. But yet when it comes into the menopause and we have symptoms all over our bodies, we're less kind to ourselves. And we need to really think about that as estrogen is not just to do with your periods, it affects everything and um, and so you can get symptoms anywhere and everywhere i think that i think that that is a beautiful sentiment that you need to be kinder to yourself around certain times as well so we're going to go straight into the menopause uh like there's so much there's a lot of literature out there but and you've you've summed it up brilliantly in your book into a way a five-year-old could understand it if you know what i mean but it, 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 like, it, it's a brilliant, brilliant book and I was very grateful to, to get a copy of it. So we'll talk about when does it start and what are the symptoms uh, and can you delay the, the inevitable as well? So the first thing to say is the menopause is the medical word for your last period. We have a word for your first period, which is menarche, and menopause is the last one. But just as puberty took you a certain number of years, the menopause is going to take you a certain number of years too. So you can have symptoms before you go through your last period, and you can have symptoms for years after. Now, the average age that a woman will have that last period in the UK is 51. But women will start getting symptoms in their 40s, um, and sometimes before that. And then you can have symptoms around that time and those will be the short-term symptoms and you can have more medium and you can have long-term symptoms that are sort of later in life that is related to the estrogen deficiency so put simply you've run out of eggs and if you've run out of eggs you don't have a menstrual cycle um, and without a menstrual cycle your ovaries aren't producing estrogen anymore and you aren't producing progesterone and it is the lack of those hormones, predominantly the estrogen, that has an effect and causes all the symptoms that you get. You also drop the amount of testosterone that you have. We make testosterone not just in the um, ovaries, but also in the adrenal glands. And that can have an impact too. So the average age is about 51. 
can you delay it? We're not quite sure, but there is definitely some things that you can do to stop it coming earlier. And the biggest one is that you should stop smoking. Smokers have um, their last period on a few years before non-smokers. So that's definitely something that you can do. But premature menopause is something slightly different. And that's when your menopause happens before the age of 40. And that's about one in a hundred women before the age of 40, one in a thousand before 30, and um, and even rarer before 20. And if that happens, then that's definitely time. If your period stops and you haven't had a period for six months, it doesn't necessarily mean you've gone through the menopause. There are lots of reasons why your periods could stop. But if you haven't had a period for six months, whatever your age is, if you're under, under 40, then you should definitely go and see your doctor because we would investigate why. That's brilliant. And one of the symptoms of going through the menopause is flushes and hot sweats. Are there any techniques or any tips that you would have for anyone to deal with the hot flushes? Because like, a lot of people do struggle with it. A lot of women do struggle with it. Yeah. So hot flushes um, are the commonest symptom um, of the menopause. But if I could just quickly go through for your listeners um, the different kind of symptoms. So there's um, physiological. So physical symptoms and then there's the psychological symptoms um, physical symptoms hot flushes sweats but also joint pain itchy skin dry skin problems sleeping fatigue and loss of libido which can go both in physical and in psychological anxiety depression low mood um, uh, difficulties with memory and concentration we call it the menopausal brain fog um, and those are some of the psychological symptoms so the commonest one is flushes and sweats and when in the book in the m word the whole way through the book we talk about lifestyle measures because it's not an either or it's not lifestyle or treatment it's both of those things together um, so first of all simple things don't wear one thick jumper wear lots of layers because it's not just that your temperature goes up and stays up, it's going to go up and down um, and it can fluctuate. Um, and Vanessa Feltz very kindly wrote the introduction to the book. And at the book launch, she said she was telling a story about how her radio producer said, said that she took her cardigan on and off something like 34 times in an hour. Um, and she said, why are you counting? Someone help me. <laughs> you know, why, why are you counting? But it's sort of hot, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. So layers, natural fibers, cotton, linen, not, um, not man-made fibers, unless they are the wicking type fibers that you might wear to the gym um, to wick away the sweat. Avoiding caffeine, avoiding stimulants um, like caffeine, avoiding alcohol and avoiding cigarettes um, will help reduce flushes as will avoiding spicy foods, they can trigger a flush. Now, exercise is something that people worry about. Will it trigger a flush? And initially, you might find that it does. But women who exercise, in general, have fewer flushes and sweats. So initially, it might, but in the long term, you're going to do better with it. That's I, I, that's really, really interesting about the exercise. I think a lot of, a lot of women do get kind of nervous about around the exercise because... The gym people some people are paranoid enough in the gym and they don't necessarily want to have a flush in front of loads of people or in a class so uh, the gym is an intimidating environment <laughs> <laughs> i worked Sometimes, in one you know, of it, it, it it shouldn't be but 
but it is and for me it's it's I know I, I hear a lot about women being intimidated by men I'm not intimidated by the men in my gym I'm intimidated by um the school moms in my gym they're the ones that intimidate me um but yes you know people flushes and sweats if you are standing up giving a presentation at work and you soak through your shirt and the sweat is dripping off your face people will think think about that and then people become much more nervous about doing it the anxiety rises which in turn increases your likelihood of a flush and a sweat so we shouldn't underestimate the impact of these symptoms i think that's brilliant and can you get a test to find out if you have the menopause so if you are over the age of 40 45 you don't need a test we'll do it on symptoms alone definitely over the age of 45 and I can treat you um, with medication whether or not you've still got your periods um, so it might be slightly different treatment but I can still treat you if you're under the age of probably 40 definitely then we are going to investigate why um, and what's happening because it could be something as simple as a thyroid problem so there is a test we test um, something called the LH the luteinizing hormone and the FSH the follicle stimulating hormone in your brain and those two hormones stimulate the ovaries to produce the menstrual cycle so when your ovaries have stopped working your brain doesn't know that so what your brain does is that it pumps up high high levels of those hormones to try and get those ovaries working the issue around the time of the perimenopause which is in those years leading up to the menopause is that some months you might have high levels and the next month it might be normal because your ovaries might kickstart. And so you could, those levels can go up and down. So they're not very useful in women over the age of 40, 45 in general. We will go on symptoms alone. Um, like why do women tend to notice they put on a little bit more weight around perimenopause and menopause? Because I think that is one of those big things that kind of when they hit the kind of the age of 40 or so, they kind of a little bit become a little bit more self-conscious of their weight and their weight tends to go up. Why is that? So um, I think that there's two bits there. The first is about weight and the second is about body image and being self-conscious. Um, the body image is is very complex, but it's also rooted in, in some of the ideas that as women we've been told where our value is um, and if you, the changes that happen around the time of the menopause were related to skin and breasts and where you put down your fat, where you deposit your fat, mean that there's a, there can often be lots of issues around body image because essentially estrogen is what keeps your, um, it affects the collagen and the protein production in your skin. So you're less likely to have wrinkles before the menopause. Um, your breasts can become saggier after the menopause because the breast tissue itself isn't responding to estrogen anymore. And you're much more likely to lay fat around your middle as opposed to on your hips and your breasts. So you lay fat down in a more male distribution than in a female distribution. And that's to do with the hormone changes. But around the time of the menopause, your BMR, your basal metabolic rate drops. And so you are more likely to gain weight, even if you're eating exactly the same amount of calories, because you are burning them up slower. A big concern that many women have is if I start HRT, will I put on weight? And the answer to that is generally no. Um, and that's because you're much, if you feel better, uh, you're sleeping better, your joints don't hurt anymore, and you're not dripping with sweat, you're much more likely, uh, and you're not depressed or anxious, you're much more likely to be able to eat a healthier diet and continue to exercise um, in order to compensate 
um, before that slight drop in BMR. You mentioned HRT. So HRT had a little bit of a taboo about it. I think the taboo is potentially lifting a little bit. Uh, but like, what is HRT for one? Uh, and then are, are there different types for different stages of, of the of the menopause that, that they, people can go on? So HRT is a medicine that does what it says on the tin. It's hormone replacement therapy. And we are replacing the hormones um, that you don't have anymore. Um, namely estrogen everybody would get estrogen um, and if you have your womb still you'll get progesterone as well and we can replace testosterone if we need to now it's probably one of the most controversial things in my lifetime as a GP apart from um, the vaccine debate um, which I guess is a, a totally separate issue um, and that's because a big study came out in um, around 2000 that said that women who are on HRT had an increased risk of breast cancer and stroke, among other things. Now, what they were using, they were using HRT, which was essentially discovered in, in the late 60s, um, and it came from pregnant horses' urine, um, and they were using synthetic progesterones. And what we know now is very different to what we knew then, to the extent that the studies, the authors of the study actually um, issued an apology for the impact that they've had on women. Um, and lots of what we have found out since changes the information. There is a slight increased risk um, of having breast cancer if you have HRT. But everything in medicine has to be put into context. That risk is about the same as if you drink more than you should in a week or if you smoke. And how many women up and down the country are doing those things and thinking about their breast cancer risk at all? That risk that is associated with HRT is far less than that that is associated with having obesity. And if you exercise more than three times a week, you can decrease your risk of having breast cancer. If you do get breast cancer with HRT, you are more likely to survive than if you get breast cancer and you were not on HRT. And that is because HRT is linked to um, hormone receptor positive breast cancers. And those breast cancers are easier to treat. One of the other things that the study looked at was stroke, and that was because the estrogen was taken orally. The safest way to take estrogen is through the skin, be it in a gel or a patch, because that avoids the liver. And uh, estrogen and the liver, there's lots of complex interactions there that deal with clotting. But if we deliver the estrogen through the skin, it doesn't increase your risk of stroke. So to use estrogen through the skin and a very modern progesterone or a Mirena coil is the safest form of HRT. And women who are on HRT are less likely to die of all causes and you have to balance those risks against the protective effect on the heart the protective effect against dementia and the protective effect on your bones for osteoporosis and for most women between before the age of 50 the benefits absolutely outweigh outweigh the risk for most women and i can't give personalized medical advice i don't know people's medical history over podcast or social media but for women between the ages of 50 and 60 starting hrt the benefit tends to outweigh the risk between 60 and 70 the benefits and the risks are about the same and over 70 i wouldn't start it generally the risks outweigh the benefits generally but once you are on it if you start it within 10 years of the menopause as long as those benefits continue to outweigh the risks you can continue but 
if you can't have it, if there is a reason that you can't have it, for example, if you have breast cancer or if you have had breast cancer, don't think that there's nothing that your GP can do for you. We have lots of other treatments. So if you are struggling and you think it could be related to your menopause, please go to the doctor. I, and I, I'm delighted you've brought up the, the cancer thing because that was, that was the big thing uh, in, the, in the media and stuff like that built up over, over the years. The last question on the menopause before we go on to the perimenopause is in relation to sex life with menopause. Uh, some people are getting a lot of it during lockdown and some people are getting none of it lot during lockdown, but we'll talk about it anyway. So in, rela- in relation to dealing with kind of the pain, the dryness, and like we'll talk about the pain and the dryness first and then we'll go on to perimenopause. So um, this is something that I always ask women who are coming to see me with menopausal symptoms and they're often really surprised. Um, but the lack of estrogen often means that things get really dry in your genitals and that can lead to itching and burning and soreness, but it can also lead to painful sex. Add to that a drop libido, issues with body image, issues with mood, and often women say, well, I, I thought I didn't, I just thought that I wasn't going to have any more sex. And actually, having an active, healthy sex life is good for you. Um, and it's good for relationships, um, and it makes you feel good. And we can help in all kinds of ways. So first of all, don't put things in your vagina, including soap or bubble bath. Um, Your vagina is a self-cleaning tube. Um, But we have lots of vaginal moisturizers available. There are lots of lubricants which are appropriate for sex, and most of those are not the big brand names that you think of on the high street. They are brands like Yes, um, or Silk, S-Y-L-K. And those are the ones which don't have things like glycerin in them, um, which is very sticky, which is why it's used in in lube, um, and are pH balanced and won't irritate. Um, And the best one I would recommend if you're really struggling is something called the double glide effect, which is when you you use an oil-based lubricant and a water-based lubricant. The oil-based goes inside the women, the water base goes on the man and water and oil don't mix so they rub over each other so it decreases the friction and pain but if that's not enough then we can give vaginal estrogen which does not have any but the same any of the risks that are associated with um taking other forms of hrt and as long as we've asked permission from an oncologist we can generally give it to women even if they've had breast cancer in the past and that just replaces the estrogen in the vagina and the vulva um and essentially makes things plumps them plumps things back up again and makes it um easier for the vagina to be able to produce the lubrication that you need during sex and um, so definitely go and speak to your doctor about that and if that doesn't if that isn't enough and the libido is still down then adding a smidge of testosterone can definitely make all the difference i think that's i think that's brilliant that we've we've covered that because i think a lot like as you do get older you do become a little bit more or can become a little bit more self-conscious and i think if you can if you can cover what you can cover yourself i think that's a that's a that's a massive massive thing we'll, we'll talk about the perimenopause um perimenopause i'm going to let you explain what it is uh and we'll we'll talk about kind of the irregular cycles and stuff like that and how they kind of come into play as well so the perimenopause are the years which lead up to that last period and some women will have no symptoms at all and some women's uh periods will just go lighter and lighter and further apart and other women's periods will get heavier and heavier and come more and more often and some women's periods will just be all over the shop um and and all of that is normal 
Um, but that doesn't mean that I can't treat you. If you're having periods that are lasting two weeks and are coming every three weeks, please come and see a doctor um, so that we can help you because that's just no fun for anybody. Um, and we can, as I said before, we can give you treatment for your symptoms, whether or not you have periods. So you can be having flushes and sweats and anxiety and all the other symptoms um, and having a period every month and we can still treat you. And what we do is that the HRT, instead of being estrogen and progesterone every day, is that we would give you estrogen every day, but we would give you progesterone cyclically for two weeks every month so that we would so that you would get a monthly period. Um, and then when your periods then stop, or if your periods have stopped, we would give you the estrogen and progesterone every day. And the reason that we would do that is that we don't want you to have irregular bleeding um, because women find that really inconvenient, understandably. What's really important, though, to say is that if you have gone through the menopause and you have not bled for a year, if you bleed, that's considered to be postmenopausal bleeding and you must see your GP. Um, that can be lots of things. It can be a benign polyp. There are lots of things that it can be, but one of the things on that list is wound cancer. So if you have not had a period for a year and then you bleed, you must see your GP. But in the perimenopause, you can have any of the symptoms related to the menopause, whether or not you're still having your periods. Can you get pregnant with, on the, uh, with perimenopause? You can get pregnant in the perimenopause. You can get pregnant after you've had your last period. Um, and you don't know when your last period is because you won't know that you've been through until you haven't bled for a year. So you can because your ovaries are going to be working. They might be working sporadically, but they might still be working. So if you go through the menopause under the age of 50, you have to use contraception for two more years. If you go through the menopause over the age of 50, you have to use contraception for one more year. And by the time you get to 55, periods or not, everybody can stop because that risk is considered to be so small. But don't think after that age, oh, I can't have a baby now. I don't need to use a condom because STDs are on the rise in the over 50s and 60s. So condoms, please. The last question I'm going to ask is in relation to pain is the last one I'm going to ask is in relation to how to deal with the pain. Is there anything that, that girls can take in order to work with the pain or to deal with the pain? Because I've dealt with clients or I've worked with clients that have had both extremes. Some of them have no pain at all when they're on their cycles and they're getting their pains. And then you have the other ones that are literally, they're, they're, unsuffer they're unsufferable. Like, Do you mean period pain? Yeah. So... Um, period pain is is really subjective. In fact, all pain is subjective. So the fact that one you can't measure one person's pain against yeah. another, you can't compare because it's to do with your perception um, as much as anything else. And women often say, well, how do I know if my periods are painful enough to see a doctor? How do I know if they're heavy enough to see a doctor? No one's going to be measuring how much blood is coming out and say, oh, yours isn't heavy enough. Um, that's not how we work. If it's too heavy for you, if it's too painful for you, then go and see the doctor. Um, there are various kinds of pain medication which affect um, something called prostaglandin formation um, and, and therefore sort of the perception of pain. There are medications that we can give to make your periods less heavy, which in turn tends to make them less painful. Um, and if we give you something like the pill, for example, which you can be on as long as you don't have any other risk factors, you can be on until the age of 50, um, that that will often make periods less painful too. Um, just don't suffer. If it's too much for you and it is affecting your life, then go to the doctor. 
Okay, brilliant. Um, and I've I've read the book. I was very lucky to read the book. It's an incredible. It's incredible. Um, so where can people find out more details about the book? Where can they get it? Um, and where can people find out about yourself as well? So the book is called The M Word, Everything You Need to Know About the Menopause by me, Dr. Philippa Kay. Right now you can get it on Amazon um, and waterstones.com and other online booksellers. Um, I think the Prime Minister is opening the bookshops very soon, so you could go to a bookshop. Um, come follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at, at Dr. Philippa Kay. I'm going to put in the link to purchase the book, guys. If you have any interest in it, please, please, please do buy it. It's an incredible book and it breaks it down brilliantly into different sections and it's incredible. So thank you so much today for coming on, Dr. Philippa Kay. It's been incredible to have a chat and I wish you the very best and stay safe during lockdown. Thank you so much. And can I just say, I know you'll have male listeners as well as female. We Everybody needs to know about the menopause. It is going to affect you whether or not you have periods. So get informed so that you can be on the side of your partner, your girlfriend, your sister, your daughter, whoever it is, because we all need to be informed so that we can help each other. Um, everybody look after yourselves out there and hopefully we will be in bookshops and in gyms soon. Yes, I hope we will be in bookshops and gyms soon. Thank you so much for coming on, Dr. K. No problem.